So we are working through a sermon series called Occupied with Greatness. And each week we're looking at a different characteristic of God. The idea behind it is that we would fix our eyes on who God is. Because as we understand more and more who God is, we learn first off what our relationship with Him looks like. We learn about what He says about us. And we learn about what our mission and what our purpose is in life. And so today we're going to be looking at God as compassionate. And my main point is this, that Christ's compassion stirs our hearts to action. That Christ's compassion stirs our hearts to action. Now, as I've been preparing for the sermon in the last couple weeks, uh, I'm realizing there's a murkiness to this idea of compassion. What I mean by that is that we as Americans, living in the 21st century, living in the information age, are in a unique time for compassion. 500 years ago, the only needs of the world that you would know were those in your villages and maybe some surrounding towns. But now, every day we're barraged with all sorts of needs that are happening out in the world. Mental health specialists call it compassion fatigue. That through social media, through uh, the news media, through different requests, we are constantly, every day, barraged by famines that are happening, people that don't have access to clean water, by war-torn countries, to abuse, to plagues. All of these terrible things that are going on in our world are bombarding us nonstop. And the challenge with it is that we, here in America, here on Fleming Island, we can oftentimes, uh, it can seem so distant from us, that we're insulated, we know that it's going on in the world. We see pictures and videos. But those in, in, incredibly traumatic things that are happening around the world seem so distant from us. On top of the fact that each week, uh, the staff and some different people of the church gather over here in the corner, Monday through Friday, and pray for the needs of the church. And just in the things that people share on the little card, the prayer card, um, the reality is that all of us, not to mention all the suffering in the world, but all of us have challenges and struggles and things, sickness in our family, uh, challenges at work, uh, broken relationships, so that we already feel like we're up to our eyeballs in suffering and hard things that are going on. So there's this compassion fatigue at work in us. And then there's also what I'm going to call compassion skepticism. But all of us probably have a story, or most of us have a story of some time that somebody came to us with a plea that they needed help with something, they need, you know, $10 to fill up their gas tank, and they need to be able to get home, and there's an urgency, and you're like, oh my goodness, like you feel for them, you feel for their story, and you reach into your pockets, or you seek to serve them, and help them out, and then, lo and behold, you see them a couple hours later, still going, asking people for $10 for helping fill up their gas tank. And so it breeds a skepticism in us. We're already fatigued by the, the needs that we see around us. And then there's a skepticism of, if I help, is it actually going to help? Is it going to hurt? And so, in short, what seems like a simple idea, compassion, is actually, there's a complexity to compassion. And so where do we see clarity in the midst of this complexity? How do we transform some of the callous places of our hearts or the skepticism of our hearts. And that's why I love the 
title for this sermon series, which is Occupied with Greatness. It's when we fix our eyes on God that we begin to get clarity. Think about the complexity of compassion. It's like walking, hiking through thick, dark woods with many different trails, and you're like, I don't know the right one to go. I don't even know if I should be going in this direction. And what fixing our eyes on God in the scriptures, what it does is it's like going up into the high country. It's like walking up to the mountaintop, and up there, you get to see the big picture. You get to see who God is. You get to see what he's doing in the world. You get a way to go, and you get empowered and strengthened and renewed, like we sang in that song, renewed and strengthened by God who is our helper. So what we're going to do now is take the complexity of compassion, look at the Christ of compassion. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it up to Matthew chapter 9, verse, starting in verse 35. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35. Jesus has just been doing a boatload of ministry. And it says that Jesus went through all the cities in the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming. So there was a ministry of declaration. He was proclaiming. He was teaching. He was telling people about God. And he was healing every disease and every affliction. And notice that language. All the villages, every disease, every affliction. There is a sense that Jesus is immersed in ministry. That he is up to his eyeballs in ministry. People are coming to him from all over the place to heal him. And then it says this, in verse 36, when he saw the crowds. Have you ever had that experience after a really long day where you've really poured yourself out, you've handled a number of different things, helped a number of different people, and then imagine getting home to your house and you're ready to kick your feet up and there's a big line of people that are in need of help. That's the situation that Jesus was in. And I know when I'm in that situation, when I see another need, I just think about the need and what that need is going to cost me. But what does Jesus see when he looks out at the crowds? It says Jesus saw the crowds, but he didn't just see the crowds. He saw the crowds and he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He didn't just see their needs. He saw the condition of their heart. And it says that, that they were harassed and helpless. That that's the state that they were in. And that word harassed and helpless paints this imagery. A picture, it literally means torn and thrown down. It's the imagery of a, of a sheep that's been mangled by a predator and left helpless, defenseless, worn out, tired, with nowhere to go and nothing to do. Harassed and helpless, torn and thrown down. That's what Jesus sees. That's not what I oftentimes see when I see human need. But that's what Jesus sees. He sees through it to the heart. And then, what does that do in Jesus? It says this, that he had compassion for them. It's a very small four words. But he had compassion for them. The word compassion comes from the same Greek word that we hear heart. That w- the same word is heart. Which a real literal translation of that word is guts or kidneys down in your bowels. And what that means is that Jesus, when it says he had compassion, that he had a gut level reaction that he felt for them because he saw them, that he saw their helplessness and he felt for them. 
The word compassion in Latin means to suffer with. He suffered with them. He understood their state of being and he felt deeply for them in his gut. Now the challenge is we don't often see the way Jesus sees and we don't often feel what he feels. And I was thinking about why is that? Why is it that I can be so shallow when it comes to compassion? I think a lot of it spurs back to the fact that I don't oftentimes feel helpless. Fair amount of my life, I feel like I can pretty much handle. Handle things that come up my way. I don't have to worry about, you know, if there's going to be food on my table. I work hard. I provide for my family. I can pretty much handle the tough things that are going to happen. I don't feel helpless. And I want to share an almost humorous story that happened to me about a month ago. Uh, So, my wife and baby were um, out of town, and so I was working a little bit late. I put in a long day getting ready for Alpha and Rooted. It was just crazy. And I, I, I'm coming home late. It's about 6.30, and I uh, get back to my house, and I realize I need to run something down to my neighbor who lives down the street. And so I brought my, I, for some reason I had my car key loose. I brought that with me, and as I walked out the door, I shut it, and I thought, oh no. I hope I didn't subconsciously just lock the door. I feel back, and there it is. My door's locked. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And inside is my keys to my house. And so I'm like, all right, what am I going to do? And so I think I can call a locksmith, but everybody knows after our locksmith, they're going to get you. Um, So I was like, I could drop 250 bucks on a locksmith on like a $50 lock. But I remembered that my brother and sister-in-law had our keys, and they live in Gainesville. So I was like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to drive to Gainesville. And so, so I called them, and I said, hey, is there any way that I could come and get the keys from you? And they said, yeah, we have it. And my sister-in-law, she said, actually, I'll meet you in Stark. I'll meet you halfway and drop off the keys to you. Just this little act of compassion. I was like, oh, man, that's so nice. And as I hang up the phone, I look at my phone, I have 2% battery. And I'm like, all right, Lord. Help me. Um, So I get in my car. I drive to Stark. um, Get out. uh, Get out. I'm waiting at the gas station that we said that we were going to meet at. And at this point, my stomach is grumbling. It's 7.30. I haven't eaten anything since lunch. And I realize, okay, I'm going to go buy something in the gas station. And I realize my wallet is also in the house. And so I'm like, okay, let's see what I have. And so I open up my ashtray, and I've got my Aldi quarter um, and seven more cents. And so I'm like, okay, I've got 32 cents. I can go get a pack of crackers. That'll hold me over the 25 cents. I go in, I walk into the convenience store, go over to the crackers, and gosh darn it, crackers are 50 cents now. Did you guys know that? (laughs) When did they jack up the price of crackers? Um, And so I literally walk up there with my... 32 cents and a pack of crackers. And I say, hey, is there any way that I can give you this? And then when my sister-in-law gives, gets here, I can give you the rest of the money for the crackers. And the lady literally was like, uh, she, it, was a, it was a youngish girl, um, young woman. And she literally like, who carries change in their pocket? She's like, I got some change right here in my pocket. And she was like, I'll, I'll pay for the rest of it. And I just remember thinking like, oh, thank you for that little act of kindness. That's so cool. And so I was eating my crackers. Um, waiting for my sister-in-law to get there. It's 8 o'clock. It's 8.30. She should be here by now. And I'm like, what the heck? I wonder where she is. And so I pull out my phone to call her, and my phone's dead. (laughs) 
And I was just like, oh my goodness gracious. And so I go back to the girl working at the convenience store and I said, is there any way that I can uh, use your phone? And she's like, yeah, we have a landline right here. Um, and she was like, I have a charger. You need a charger? And I was like, yeah. And it was, it was amazing. She was so sweet and she was like, I was like, I promise I'm not like this. I don't know. Um, <laughs> But finally, my sister-in-law came, and she brought the keys, and we had switched up the, uh, we met at the wrong gas station. And, but I was, on my drive home, first off, I was thinking, man, little acts of kindness really do go a long way. But I was also angry, to be honest with you. I was angry at God, because I was like, God, I worked all day, working on ministry stuff. Why did you let this happen? Why did you let me be so stupid, actually, is what I was praying. I was like, why am I such an idiot? And why do you let me be such an idiot so much of the time? But, but I, and it's, it was humorous, but to be honest, it was humiliating. It was humiliating to be in that situation where you don't have any money to pay for a pack of crackers, where you don't, you don't have any ability to call people on your own. And I didn't realize until I was preparing for this sermon why God let me go through that. But he wanted to show me, Dan, that thin veneer that you can help yourself, that illusion of control, you're one diagnosis away from helplessness. You are one lost job away from helplessness. You're one losing a family member away from helplessness. So oftentimes we think we're in control, but the reality is deep down, we're so quick to realize that we are harassed and helpless. And so Jesus, and here's the good news, that Jesus sees us in our helplessness. Whatever you're coming into today with, whatever place of your life you feel helpless, Jesus sees that and he is compassionate. His heart is stirred to the gut for what you're going through. And that when all the world turns away, Jesus rushes in. You want to know what makes God great? Is that he is occupied with the lowly. He's occupied with us in our helplessness. That our God is a God of compassion. And it's when we realize all the compassionate ways that he has been to us and all the compassionate ways that he has lived out to the world, that's what stirs our hearts up to action, to compassion. Because Christ's compassion stirs our hearts to action. And what we see is Jesus doesn't just feel, but he also moves into action. We see him healing. We see him casting out demons. We see him preaching and teaching. And here in our passage, we see him tell us a couple of different actions. When we see the crowds, when we see all the needs of the world, he says this in 37. He turns to who? To his disciples. And, and he says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his vineyard. All acts of compassion begin on our knees. If your heart is hard, if your heart is burdened, if you see something on the news and it catches your attention, take that burden to God. Say, God, I know I can't go to that war-torn country, but you go. Send laborers. Or God, 
that I see needs in the world and, and start praying, acts of compassion begin on our knees, but they definitely don't end there. And I want to point this out to you. It says that in the very next verse, there's a chapter break, but this is the very next thing that happens. What does he do? What's his game plan to meet the needs of the world? It says, then he called to him his 12 disciples. He called his disciples. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. That's the same exact phrase in verse 35. It says, Jesus came healing every disease and every affliction. And then in in 10 verse 1, it says that he gave his disciples authority to preach and to heal and to cast out demons. And oftentimes, we uh, talk over and over and over and over again at Grace, right, about discipleship. And you're like, why do you keep talking about making disciples and all that? Here's why. That God's plans for the needs of the world is to make disciples. And I want to throw up this slide for you. You'll notice this is our discipleship pathway of grace. And we think it's important as we grow to worship God, to, to belong to a life group, to belong to a smaller group of people. And then you see the third aspect is to serve. We should serve the church, but we're also called to serve the community and serve the world. Our discipleship, a big part of our discipleship is to grow in compassion. As we see the compassion of God, we as his disciples grow in compassion. And so God's answer to the needs of the world is compassionate disciples that go out and do the things that he does. That restoration comes through multiplication. Restoration of the world comes through multiplication of disciples to make more disciples. We can never have enough disciples. And so... This week, you who are disciples, if you're like, I'm not a disciple, you are a disciple. Um, if you trust Jesus, you are a disciple. I want to I give you uh, an application. It's this week, I want to encourage you to look for one opportunity to share or show compassion to somebody this week. To so look for one opportunity that if you pray, God, bring somebody in my path that needs compassion. I promise you, he will do that. Ask him for eyes to see that person. And specifically, I I want to encourage you to live into two things as you seek to uh, put your compassion into action. And it's that compassion into action is actually the combination of open hands and wise plans. Now that's a little cheesy, open hands and wise plans, but I hope you remember it this week. Open hands and wise plans. What I mean by open hands is that in our compassion, we are to be open-handed. To seek to give away. Now we can give away uh, finances or give away gifts. And I would encourage you to seek to do that. Seek to give away. If you're uncomfortable maybe giving a handout to somebody, seek to support an organization that you know that they're doing good work. So seek to give away our finances. And and some people have said that the reason that they give away to um, other people that ask isn't just for that person, but for their own heart's sake that their own heart would stay soft. So give through uh, finances, but the reality is we can also give our time. Being open-handed with our time to seek to serve people, 
whether that's to serve in a local ministry, whether that's to serve here at Grace, or whether it's to serve on a mission trip, to go see what God's doing in other places. Because it's oftentimes not until we get out into the world serving that our hearts begin to stir like Jesus's. Why? Because we see Jesus out there serving. And he gives us his heart for those people. So we give through our finances, we give through our service. But then there's also giving words of encouragement. And the amazing thing about words of encouragement is they cost us nothing, but they can make such a big difference. So this week, look for an opportunity. Maybe it's to give an encouragement to somebody. Somebody that you see is struggling. Somebody that you see that's discouraged in your workplace. Or somebody that you may see at the grocery store or something else. Just stopping and saying, I see what you're doing. I'm praying for you. Keep it up. So we are to be open-handed, but we're also to have wise plans. And I've never noticed that this passage is in the context, but as Jesus is training up his disciples to go out and do this work, if you look down in verse 10, or in chapter 10, verse 16, he gives him a great little uh, nugget of truth. He's training them up on the things that they're to do, and he says, behold, verse, or chapter 10, verse 16, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpent and innocent as dove. Compassionate action is being innocent as doves, being open-handed. But we're also to be wise in our plans, wise in our strategies for caring for those in need. And one of the books that's been incredibly influential for me has been this book, Toxic Charity. Now, if you are... um, If you are the kind of person that you're working currently with the Mercy Ministry, I would very much encourage you to read this book. Um, If you are somebody that's, you're saying, I've been burned too many times, I would encourage you to read this book. Um, Now, you may be thinking, that book sounds scary. Um, To be honest, somebody gave me that book three years ago, and it just sat on my bookshelf because it sounded so bad. Like, toxic charity, that book sounds toxic. Um, But... What is amazing about this book is that he, he, he does say that these are the, some practices that we do that actually aren't good for people. They actually steal their dignity. But he gives so many ideas about how we can take our charitable practices and mercy ministries and help make them empower people. And I want to give you just a, sh- a, a snippet of a story to illustrate. He said that he moved uh, to downtown Atlanta in the inner city and Um, one of his neighbors invited him over to their house for Christmas morning. And he said, this is great. And he he was hanging out at their house. And at one point, there was a knock at the door. And these nice people from the suburbs came in and they had all of these presents that they put under the Christmas tree. And and he said the mother was very gracious. The kids were excited. But what he noticed was that the dad, as soon as they came, the dad went and sat in the other room. And... The kids opened all the presents and, and then finally once all the presents were open, the dad came back out and hung out with the family for the rest of the time. And what he realized is those people who were bringing those gifts, they had great intentions. But what they didn't realize is that it was robbing that guy of his dignity. It was a reminder, one more reminder that he can't provide for his family, one more reminder that he's helpless, that he's a failure. And so what they did next year is they had a thrift store for the community. And what they decided to do is they did a drive for gifts. But then what they did is they said, okay, we're going to invite all the parents and we're going to take these great, wonderful toys and put them at a reduced rate. 
that, that, that these families can afford. And he said it was amazing to see the mothers and the fathers come in and buy with them their hard-earned money these toys for their children. And then he got to be there when they opened the presents and there was the dad beaming for the hard work that he had done to be able to provide these toys for his kids. The reality is we need to have open hands, but we need to have wise plans as well in how we go about it. So this is a great book. There's a number of other good books about best practices and the world of compassion. So this week, ask God, who are you going to put into my path this week that I can show compassion to? Because Christ's compassion is what stirs our hearts to action. And I want to conclude with this. This is Mother Teresa. She says, I never look at the masses as my responsibility. I look at the individual. I can only love one person at a time. Just one, one, one. So you begin. I began. I picked up one person. And maybe if I didn't pick up that one person, I wouldn't have picked up 42,000. The same thing goes for you. The same thing in your family. The same thing in your church. The same thing in your community. Just begin. One, one, one. So this week, look for one way that you can be compassion, the compassion of Christ to somebody this week. Let's pray. God, open our eyes. Reframe our minds to see past needs to the condition of people's hearts. Lord, we give you thanks that you are compassionate to us. And Lord, I pray that you would show us who this week that we can bless. In Jesus' name, amen.